your Bibles, I'm going to ask that you would turn to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1. And I realize that this is the third week that we've been in Nehemiah, and we're still not out of chapter 1. We'll get close to the end of chapter 1 today, I suspect. There's just rich, rich truth there for us. And last week I started a, uh, a message called, Can These Walls Rise Again? And uh, I remember mentioning at the beginning of the service that I was not going to get through that. In fact, we only got one point of it done. So let me just very, very quickly highlight a little bit about what we recognized last week. In chapter 1 of Nehemiah, Nehemiah gets word from 900 miles away as he is the cupbearer for the king of Persia that the walls of Jerusalem are destroyed. Now, Jerusalem is the, the dwelling place, the historic dwelling place and city of of the children of Israel, and they have been in exile. They have been sacked. The city's been sacked. They have been captured, and so they are they are a captured people in different lands, and they are living as servants. And when Nehemiah heard that the city of Jerusalem lay in ruins, even though Zerubbabel 60 years before had gone back and rebuilt the temple, we began to look at what the picture looked like of having a city that's walls are destroyed, the homes are destroyed, and in the middle of this there is a rebuilt temple. And talk to us about the picture of many of us that may have a relationship with Christ because we have intersected the cross and, and we have said the prayer about inviting Christ into our life, but we've done nothing to build a level of protection around our spiritual life. And as a result of that, we have discovered that many people who claim to know Christ as their Savior are not living in victory. They find their life is, is one defeat after another. It seems as if the enemy has free reign to come in and ruin their lives in the area of temptation, in the area of morality, in the area of decisions that they make. And they've lived a compromised life because the safety and the protection that the Lord desires that we would build walls of protection around that temple, around the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, simply have not been developed well. At the end of that service, we had an opportunity to spend some time uh, understanding what it means to grieve the Holy Spirit. And, and we talked a little bit about the personality of the Holy Spirit. We discussed a little bit the fact that the Bible tells us in Genesis that God made man in His image. And man really is mankind or male and female. In other words, it, there is not one gender that fully encapsulates the personality of God. And so some of the aspects and the personalities that we normally associate to be of the Holy Spirit, such as tenderness and gentleness and care and compassion, are things that we might normally associate to be of a feminine nature. And I am not saying that the Holy Spirit is a woman. I am saying that God has a gentleness to His nature. And the aspect of the Word indicates to us that if we do not give care to our spiritual life, that the Holy Spirit will withdraw and be quiet into the recesses of our soul until the point comes where He no longer is welcome as the Lord of our life and He will pack up and leave. And so we discovered that there's this aspect of, of the relationship of the Holy Spirit, the protective nature, the sensitivity that we need to uh, protect and to guard against so that we can live victorious lives. This morning I would like to take a look at a prayer that is prayed by Nehemiah. And I'm going to begin reading with verse 5 of chapter 1 of Nehemiah. And I'm going to ask that for those of you that have your Bibles and an underliner, there may be things that you want to underline in your Bible as we go through this, because there's four particular things uh, that I would like to highlight out of this honest assessment that he prays today in this. Beginning with verse 5. Then I said, O oh, 
Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps His covenant of love with those who love Him and obey His commands. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night. For your servants, the people of Israel, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws that you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and by your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. And then he ends this chapter, which is an unusual place to end it, but he says, I was a cupbearer to the king. In other words, this is the man that I need favor with. And in this spectacular prayer, there are some things that I believe that we can apply within our own life today. My wife and I, since it's January, decided that as we were evaluating our life, that it would be healthy for us to have a gym membership this year. So we joined thousands of other Syracuse people in a January rush to go and find a gym that we could buy a membership to and then never use. And as we were touring one of the, the gyms that uh, we ultimately bought a membership that we haven't been to yet, <clears throat> they were giving us this tour, and, and I noticed that there were, there were guys on the bench press, and they are just huffing and puffing. And it's amazing how you can get one or two more reps out when there are people touring the gym beside you. You know, and there's these groans, and, and every one of the treadmills and the stair climbers are all being used. And, you know, the, and the lady that was giving us the tour telling us what each of these do and, and the, what it will ultimately look like in our bodies if we use them correctly and that we've got potential. And, and then we get to this one machine that nobody's using. It's called the squat machine. The whole place is full, but nobody is over there on the squat machine. And I don't know, in my, in my slightly demented mind, that kind of fits, doesn't it? I begin to think of what it would look like if everybody used all those machines and they're walking out of there with these hulky chests, massive arms, women completely toned, and legs that look like twigs. You walk up to people like that with no base and you give them a shove and they fall right over because they got twig legs, massive chests, big forearms, and twig legs. Because we're good at doing the things we like to do. Honestly, the mirrors that we look at are about this high anyway. So we're... Nobody sees the white twig legs. And as I look at this in light of our spiritual lives, it, it begins to dawn on me that prayer for the Christian is like the SWAT machine. Give us something to do. Lord, give me an activity. Give me, give me something I can involve myself in. But please don't make me pray. 
Please don't make me put the work in the squat machine because it becomes the core of our spiritual life and it keeps us from being able to be shoved over easy because we've spent time to build the core and to build the base and whatever the Lord wants to add on top of that, we've built the base in prayer to be able to withstand the shove that may come our way. And so prayer becomes the squat, the thing that helps us build something strong for us to do. And as we look at Nehemiah's prayer, he he begins to give a very honest assessment about what's taking place. And when you look at this, you'll recognize that he didn't instantly come up with a plan. Now, I know that we are planners. We're the type of people who are faced with a problem. Instantly, we gather a committee together. We make a plan, and here's a plan of action. Here's the way we're going to do it. He didn't do that. In fact, he very wisely did nothing but go to the Lord first. And so he comes and he weeps and he grieves in his heart and his spirit over the things that take place and he he ponders the problem and he he begins to pray over it and he sits down and he cries and and we recognize from the very first message of this that these walls had been down 141 years. This was not a new problem. But it was one that came to his attention. Maybe you've looked at the walls of your life and some of them have been down a long time. Maybe there's aspects of your life that you have grown accustomed to just living in defeat in because it doesn't seem as if you can do anything about it. Maybe you have grown accustomed to living without strength, to living without hope, to living without joy, and so you just, your idea is, I just want to make it to heaven. If I can just, just get there. And the Lord indicates to you today that His desire for His people is that we would live with joy and that we would live with victory and that even in the middle of the hardest attacks of the enemy that we would have something to stand on and with His help we would be able to resist and enjoy victory. Nehemiah says, Then I said, Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps His covenant of love with those who love Him and keeps His commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to the prayer. The first thing that Nehemiah does when he faces this difficult problem is he remembers who God is. He remembers who God is. I am normally not an anxious person. I will admit to having been a little anxious this week. A little anxious as it related to I'm watching the weather report, knowing how much we have to get done today, and knowing that this day was not going to get above zero, and I'm thinking, Lord, really? Do you you know where we live? Do you know what we have to get done? And at some point, I said, you know, I also know what I'm preaching, so I'm just going to have to stop at some point and say, I just know who you are. I believe that there's an aspect of our lives that, that need to come to a recognition that when things are difficult, sometimes you need to just stop and put your feet down. There was a time when, when David had to just stop and put his feet down and he had to preach to himself. Sometimes we have to do that and say, Lord, I know who you are, which will make it easier for me to go through anything I've got to do. 
And so he starts out by saying, you are the Lord God of heaven. In other words, you've got a perspective over our life and everything that's going on that I do not have. You see the beginning, you see the end, you see it all, and you know how you're going to bring provision. And so in the middle of all of this, I'm going to trust that the things that you see and the power that you have and the strength that you will give to me will overcome anything that I see with my physical eyes. Because you are great and you are awesome and the circumstances of your life do not change the awesomeness of His presence. And so Nehemiah focuses in prayer, not on the problem, but on the character and the nature of God. And this is so critical. And this, for me, is often where I fail and fall short. Because my eyes obviously often focus on the problem and the Lord wants to begin to lift my eyes. In fact, the song that we sang this morning was so good. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look to His face. Get your eye off the problem and look to the one who's the solver of the problems. Nehemiah in the middle of this prayer is a captive person. And yet he recognizes that his God is greater than his captivity. And he begins to pray, Oh, Lord Jesus, I recognize who you are. I understand your greatness. I know your nature. And so this that we are facing is not a matter for us to take care of because you've already got a plan. So, Lord, we're going to honor you and glorify you and praise you and we'll let you do the restoring because you are great. When the emphasis is on me and upon you and not upon God, we are destined to weakness rather than power. When we look at ourselves, we always will see failure and weakness. But Nehemiah, the remembering who God is and His power, is aligning himself with God. And whoever aligns themselves with God will be armed with all of the forces that they will need from an invisible spiritual world that will be on their, working on their behalf. And that's the sort of thing that Nehemiah reminded himself of when he reminded himself of who his God is. The second thing that Nehemiah does within this prayer is he confesses and takes responsibility. He confesses and takes responsibility. In verses 6 and 7, he says, Let your ears be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night. And then he says, The people of Israel, I confess, the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We've not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. In other words, he's saying, Father, we can't blame our circumstance on you. This isn't your fault because you told us what to do. You said if we would be obedient that you would lead us in this. We've been disobedient. And, Father, as I'm looking back at all of this, I recognize that it's not just the children of Israel. I need to include myself in this, and I need to include my father and his people in this. This is historically something that we as a people and we as a family and I have done against you. I'm facing the consequences of my own behavior. We will never be able to see the walls of spiritual protection built up around us until each of us as an individual can take a level of responsibility that we are where we're at because of the decisions we have made. One of the disappointing things about counseling with different people is when they'll sit in your office and they'll tell you that the reason they are the way they are is from other people and outside influences and they take no responsibility whatsoever for the fact that they're there because of their own decisions. It's because of my mom. It's because of my dad. It's because of my toilet training. All these things that we add in is, well, this is the reasons why I am the way I am. 
And God knows me, so He knows this isn't my fault. And Nehemiah says, I'm just going to give you a pattern of prayer right there that says, you know what, I'm 146 years away from this, but my sin and the sin of my family and the sin of our people has caused us to be where we are. I take responsibility before you, Lord, and I come to you and I confess, it's me, Lord, in need of prayer. It's me in need of forgiveness. It's me in need of a new attitude. It's me in need of a new direction. So, Lord, I confess and I take responsibility. And within this, there was a purging and a cleansing moment for Nehemiah in this prayer. And then from there, he moves on. And he begins to remember God's promises. And he does something that's really tremendous here as you're looking at this passage of Scripture. In verses 8 through 10, he says, Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses. Now, we read this, and, and, and because we don't have much of a historical perspective on this, we don't understand that he was talking about promises that were over a thousand years old. As I was thinking about that this morning, I thought, what if God promised something of my great, 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 great grandparents back in the year, what? Yeah, a thousand years ago? Yeah, my mathematical mind just disappeared. A thousand years. The interesting thing is that because God makes a promise, there's no time limit to it. He just waits for us to get to a place where we can apply it. And so in his prayer, he says, Now that I have come before you recognizing your awesomeness, coming before you recognizing my sin and my complicity in where we are, I also want to remind you of something. You made a promise to us as people. Now, I understand that the promise is a thousand years old, but would you remember what you said to Moses? You told him, and then he begins to quote within his prayer passages of Scripture that you can find in Deuteronomy chapter 30 and in Leviticus chapter 26. And Moses at that time had prophesied that that when God's people, if they went into exile as a result of their sin, that if they would repent when they were in exile, that God would bring them all back. And so all Nehemiah does within this moment of prayer is to bring back to the remembrance of God promises that he had made a thousand years before. And Moses had seen this in prophecy, knowing that the people were going to be disobedient and be exiled. But God said, even though he's seen that, I will bring you back with my promise. And today we look at this and and we recognize that we are a people that desperately need the promises of God brought to us. I look at our world today. I've never seen such sin. I've never seen such hatred. I heard this week that there were 14 Christian children in Iraq that were killed and beheaded right in front of their parents because they would not turn to Islam and give up the name of Jesus. Things that we have seen on the news so much it doesn't even make the news anymore because of the evil within our world. And so the Lord says to us this, if my people, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, then will I hear from heaven and I will heal their land and I will forgive their sin. I want you to know something. We need to be people that will start getting on the squat machine of prayer and begin to build up a base of strength within us so that when we humble ourselves before God and we begin to pray that God can release promises that He has made thousands of years and hundreds of years before to us and we can begin to see a healing take place within our land because of the power of the name of Jesus. So the Lord assures us that my promises do not 
have a limit when they no longer are valuable. And the last thing that he does is he expects success. He closes this prayer. And he says, give your servant success today. Today. By granting him favor in the presence of this man. The interesting thing about this, and we will discuss this a little bit more next week, is he prayed this prayer every day for four months. In fact, he probably wrote it down. It was probably something that he wrote out, prayed every day, this extensive, robust prayer of getting in touch with God. And every day he finishes this prayer by this. Lord, today, let today be the day that you give me success, that you give me opportunity. I begin to wonder what would happen in our lives if at the end of our prayer time with the Lord we would say, Lord, we're going to take the promises of the Word, I'm going to apply them to our life today, and I'm going to ask that today you would give me success. Not just, not just in surviving as a child of God, but thriving. Today give me success, Lord, as I go into the world, into the office, into the places that I go, into the schools, wherever it may be. Give me success today, not only in living in such a way that brings glory and honor to you, but give me success in the people that I touch. Give me success in the words that I say. Let my mind have an anointing of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Let the Holy Spirit bubble up within me so that when my fears come and I don't know what to say, the Holy Spirit who dwells in me because I am building walls of protection there and is vocal with me will inspire me to speak the words of life to others. Let today be a day where I experience success. He doesn't walk away from the prayer at that point saying, this really isn't going to matter. It doesn't matter if I pray or not because nothing is really going to happen. He doesn't get up from that and say, you know what, I just did that because I'm supposed to do that, but I really don't believe that He heard me. There was something in His spirit and in His soul that He recognized. I am reaching the ears of God and God has His eyes upon me. There's something wonderfully personal about our prayer life. When the Lord begins to reach down and see us and we begin to speak to Him and this intentionally personal God begins to say, I am right there with you. I'm hearing you. I'm seeing you. I've written your name on the palm of my hand. I've engraved it. And suddenly a prayer life becomes vibrant and alive because we recognize we're not just speaking into the wind. We are speaking to the ears of Almighty God who's been waiting for His people to call upon His name so that He can begin to intervene and walk with us. It may be today that you need to do the same thing. Maybe you need to build yourself up in prayer by declaring the greatness of your God. Maybe you need today to find a place where you can say, you know, I've blamed a lot of people for what's going on in my life. And today I need to assume some responsibility and say, Lord, it's me. My sin. My decisions. And I come to you today and ask for forgiveness. It may be today that you need to remind God of some promises. I've said many, many times, I've... My Bible is highlighted in several different colors because of whatever highlighter color I had nearby. But there are promises in here that I highlighted at just moments I needed when God spoke to me. And I've discovered that in moments of need, I can begin to thumb through my Bible and I'll see some of those highlighted areas and I'll grab a hold of those promises that God spoke to me at whatever time. And it becomes mine brand new all over again. 
There's no expiration date on the promises of God as it relates to us. And some of you need to grab hold of the promises of God and say, Today, this is mine. I am praying it for me. I'm praying it for my family. I'm praying it over my marriage. I'm praying it over the job. It's mine. You gave it to me. And I'm going to lay hold of it today. And it may be that you just need to build yourself up and say, Today, Lord, I'm going to walk out of here and I'm going to expect success because you're going to leave me. I know of no better way to build the walls, to rebuild our lives, than with the discipline of seeking God and the character that He brings to that. So I'm going to ask that you would stand with me this morning. And worship team, you don't need to come. You can, you can stay there. But I want to pray for you today. Because I discovered a long time ago that Whenever I enter into a service, there's always something, a nugget of truth that just satisfies my soul. And I believe today that there's something that the Lord has spoken to you that you can grab hold of and say, this is me right now and this is what I need. And I want to conclude this service this morning by praying for you. But if you're here today and you've never had an encounter with a Savior, maybe you didn't know that... He came to love you and die for you and to forgive you and to cleanse you. Then I want you to know that He's as close as His name. All you have to say is, Jesus, I believe. Jesus, I believe. And I'll invite you into my life. He's waiting. He's knocking at the door, waiting for you to let Him in. If you're in a place today where you've been in the middle of a battle and a struggle and your prayer life is... You're standing, honestly, your prayer life looks like twigs because you haven't had the swap machine of prayer lately. You've been trying to do things with activities and build up the upper body that everybody sees, but you know that your prayer life is, is not very robust. Today the Lord will remind you that that's a core that needs to be Today if you're discouraged and you feel overwhelmed, then call on the nature of a God who is worthy of all of your attention. Because he's as close as this man. Father God, as we close this service this morning, maybe in a different way than we normally do, we do recognize that your presence is here. You're so familiar. You're so gracious. Lord, you so desire that even in the middle of a day that looks different than many others, you... You say, if you just call upon my name, I'll be there to strengthen you. I'm the God that removes anxiety. I am the God that can strengthen you in the middle of problems, and I'm the God that can go before you and clear a path, just like the clouds plow away the snow. And Lord, if there's any today, even children that may be here that don't know you, may this be the day that they call upon your name and say, Jesus, come into my life. I want the deposit of the Holy Spirit within me so that I can become the dwelling place, the temple of the Holy Spirit in this world. And we will be sure today to take the promises of God and apply them in our life as we need them and where we need them. And we pray this in Jesus' name.